welcome to Dairy Matters, a podcast brought to you by the National Dairy Council, all about Irish dairy, how it gets produced, why it's important to Ireland Inc., why the Irish government recommends three servings of dairy a day, and most importantly, about the people involved in making Irish dairy happen. Dairy farming is something that's been taking place here in Ireland for 4,000 years, something that happens on 17,500 family farms, employs 60,000 people and delivers $5 billion a year to the Irish economy. It's time we all knew a bit more about it, the quality produce it delivers to chiller cabinets around the world, its nutritional benefits and the efforts that are being made to reduce dairy's environmental impact and make it a more sustainable industry. In this episode of Dairy Matters, we're bringing you an interview with Rumia Basu, a PhD student affiliated to the Vistamilk SFI Research Centre studying at the University of Galway. Rumia's particular field, if you'll forgive the pun, is satellite imagery, particularly where it impacts on how wet Irish soil is and can become. Simply put, Rumia is looking at soil from space. This interview was originally conducted for the Vistamilk SFI Research Centre in Cork, which was established in 2018 and through science identifies challenges and solves problems for the Irish dairy sector in four specific areas, soil, pasture, cow and food. Rumia, welcome. Hi, Jeremy. Thank you for having me here. That's a pleasure. Yeah, so jumping straight in, and we always ask everyone the same first question. Do you have any farming background or heritage? The reason that we ask that is that research says that four in 10 Irish people know a farmer personally. How about you? No, not at all. <laughs> no connections to farms, whatever. Not, not personally, at least. But you are working on, or rather your project does involve a couple of farms, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. So farmers who have partnered with Tiger, so I work on those farms. And, and do, do the farmers have, I mean, do you have much sort of interaction with the farmers on those farms? For me, for my project, not me personally, because we have a technician who takes care of whatever goes on in the field. So and because also COVID hit right when I started my PhD. Mm -hmm. So after a few months down the line, so I haven't been able to interact with them as much. But now, of course, COVID is over. Yeah, right. OK, we'll see how that how, how that works out. Um, before we start talking about soil from space, could you tell me a little about your relationship with Vista Milk? how you got there and how it works, how the relationship works. So I applied for this PhD position, which was advertised as a Tagus Walsh PhD opportunity. And um, that that's how I interviewed for the position and finally joined as a Vista Milk PhD student in January of 2020. And why, we're going to talk about soil from space and satellite imaging, but why did you choose that particular topic? Why, you, why is that topic your, your PhD topic? So basically, I have a background in remote sensing. I did my master's in geoinformatics. So I was trained in remote sensing, GIS, all that sort of stuff. And this position had a very important remote sensing component. So according to the description that was given in the advertisement, I felt that my interests and expertise both match. So that's how I got about applying um, for the position. And then, of course, I interviewed and, um, well, they liked me, I guess. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I got through. Brilliant. And sorry, we, 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 are, we don't talk in acronyms on this podcast. So GIS, what does that stand for? Uh, so GIS stands for Geographical Information Systems. So basically, um, what you see on your Google Maps when you open your phone is GIS. Um, the GPS is also, again, part of GIS, but again, it's, it basically stands for Global Positioning System. But all of that is very much tied together. Brilliant. 
Right. So soil from space. Obviously, it isn't actually soil from space. That would be weird. Um, it's looking at soil from space and interpreting what you can see. So I know you're looking specifically at soil moisture. Why? Well, um, there could be a number of answers to this question, but very importantly, what I feel my PhD hopes to address is that soil moisture or soil, let's start with that. It's a very important climatic variable. It's one of the essential climate variables. So you can get a lot of information about your past and future climate by studying soils. Uh, Now, one of the important components of soil is soil moisture, apart from its texture and porosity, et cetera, et cetera. Now, porosity and soil moisture, again, are related. Uh, Now, so soil moisture regimes or, you know, the kind of variations that soil moisture has over time, over space, can tell us a lot about, um, one, about our climate, how the climate is changing. And secondly, it can also help dictate management uh, regimes on farms. So globally, if you talk about the global scenario, in a lot of tropical countries, irrigation is a major factor. So looking at soil moisture conditions, you can do irrigation scheduling, for example. And here in context of Ireland, where it rains so much that probably farmers maybe do not require irrigation as much. But at least um, it could then tell them that, you know, um, what is the status of their farm like? So if it's too wet or too, too dry, because soil moisture also affects the health of crops. So it's all tied in together, your farm management practices, your crop output, ultimately, will you have to go down to the soil moisture level information. So that way, I feel the project is very interesting and important as well. And I guess when we talk about Ireland, you talked about crops, and this is a global issue as well, but I was talking specifically about Ireland. I'm guessing this is about grass growth. Yes. So, yes. Yeah, which obviously is very key to um, uh, an island which is, I think, 65% grassland or something? Yeah, it's, it's primarily um, what you also find in a lot of articles. It's what's written as it's a grass-based economy. So the crop that we're talking about here is grass. Which feeds the cows. Yeah, clearly. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, clearly, you, you, you talked about, you just, you just mentioned that uh, on a global basis, uh, soil moisture can help with um, uh, irrigation planning. Uh, but you also said rightly that Ireland uh, gets a lot of rain. But what it's also got is cloud. Mm-hmm. Now, you're monitoring soil using data from satellites. Yes. So how can the satellites see through the cloud? So there are two aspects to it again. We're talking about different kinds of satellites. So we have the active satellites and we have the passive satellites. And when I talk, when I say active satellites, it means that they do not really depend on sun as a source of energy. So they send in their own beams. Let's put it very simply, beams or electromagnetic energy towards the earth and then record back the reflected radiation. And the passive satellites are the one that are dependent on the sun as a source of energy. So they're mostly operational during the day. Uh, so And, and, I I mostly will refer to them as optical satellites because they operate in the visible spectrum that we can see as humans. So I use both optical data and radar data. Now, because you talked of clouds, you very rightly said that cloud cover is a very, very big issue in Ireland. So throughout the year, if you look at these images or if you even if you look at just in the sky, you will see um, it's dominated by clouds. So that is a problem with the optical satellites because 
the kind of uh, wavelength that they operate in, those wavelengths cannot penetrate through clouds. Uh, so therefore, the radar satellites, which is part of the active satellite group, comes in. So therefore, I look at both. I look at the optical satellites and then I look at the radar data to sort of suit my purpose. And I suppose I'm going to ask, um, so, so it is, it, it's obviously, it, it's a combination of data. Um, uh, what, which, this may be a really stupid question, I'll ask it anyway. Um, which is better, the radar data or the optical data? There is no uh, straightforward answer to this because each has their own limitations and strengths. So like with the optical data, for example, I use Sentinel-2 data for my research, which is an, op uh, sorry, which is an optical satellite. So uh, the benefit of using an optical data is that you get very high uh, spatial resolution. Now, um, one might contradict me here saying that the Sentinel-1, which is a radar satellite, also has the same kind of spatial resolution that Sentinel-2 uh, being an optical satellite has. But um, it is easier to interpret an optical satellite because you see familiar colors, like the grass would appear green as one would see normally. Um, or, you know, uh, a house of a particular color would appear so in the image. Uh, radar data is a bit difficult to visualize that way. So you need a bit of experience and also you need to familiarize yourself uh, before you actually start appreciating what the data is telling you. So the biggest advantage, obviously, of using radar data is that you're not then dependent on weather conditions or you're not sort of obstructed uh, or limited by weather conditions. They're all weather satellites, operational day and night. So you get many more data points that way. But again, like I said, optical satellite has its own usage. So, well, yeah, you have to weigh in your options. Now, these satellites quite clearly are in orbit around the planet. So they are a hell of a long way away. Yeah. So how, how, how closely can you view the ground from a satellite that is several miles above the Earth? So these days you have satellites which can give you data as close to as a centimeter, uh, you know, of a, that, that kind of a high spatial resolution. Now the satellites that I work with or the satellite data that I work with, which is Sentinel-2, uh, it's about uh, 10, 10 meters uh, in, in resolution. So meaning that you could actually go down to the field level. So you can identify parcels, farm parcels, and you can actually see what's going down at that level. Same for uh, your radar data, which is Sentinel one. So that way, ten meters, it's it's quite a good resolution. But you also have satellites which go down to one meter. Also, a few satellites which are, I think, mostly commercial and need certain permissions for them. But they also go down to the level of few centimeters. So that is how good satellites have gotten over the years. Wow, and and this this data comes to you in pretty pictures, I presume. Are, are you analyzing the pictures by sort of by eye using mm -hmm. your experience or is there a computer program to do it or how does that work so all the satellite data fortunately is available free of cost to be used by students and researchers all over the world and uh, you can download them in various formats like uh, the most common commonly used format is geotiff which is just an image format so you can just download these data from these various uh, data platforms that that give you uh, the data and then um, I mean 
over the top of it, you can just open it in any image viewer, like even in a Windows photo viewer and see it. Uh, but then to analyze it, I use different uh, softwares and different programs. So uh, mostly open source like QGIS, which is a which is an open source platform for viewing and analyzing um, satellite imagery. So I use that. And then there are other other formats and other uh, programs that I use to sort of analyze my data. And how does it how does it come out at the end? Is is is, is it a string of uh, numbers describing a particular parcel of land, or is it images, or how 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 would you then supply this data to a farmer, for example? No, it just comes out as an image. So just like a normal image. And uh, you can convert your analyzed data into what we call maps, like normal maps that is there everywhere. So um, in order to get my analyzed data to a farmer, I would probably produce a map of soil moisture of his particular farm or her particular farm. And uh, it would have sort of gradients of colors and it would have explanation of what the colors would mean. So maybe red means dry, blue means wet, yellow means moderate. And uh, that probably would give the farmer an overall idea of what the farm looks like on a particular day or how the farm has been evolving over a period of time in terms of soil moisture. So maybe some year it was like I, I specifically remember 2018 was, I think, a drought year here in Ireland. So if you look at images from 2018 and uh, the following years or previous years, you would immediately spot the difference on how the grass looked like or how the soil looked like. So I, I think that sort of imagery or that sort of map is very easy to understand. Uh, yeah, a little bit of, of course, explanation and help. Uh, just going back to the satellites for a moment, because um, they fascinate me. Um, they're run by the European Space Agency, is that correct? Yeah, so Sentinel uh, sort of uh, sensors are launched by the European Space Agency, which is ESA. Yeah. And you say that, you, I mean, it's not like you pick up the phone to the European Space Agency and say, excuse me, can you send me some data? They, it, It's just there. Uh, no, it's just very easy. You don't have to go through all that stuff. So they have uh, a data dis, uh, distribution platform, uh, which is, I think, it's called Copernicus. Uh, they also have something called the EO Data Hub. So if you just log on to these platforms, register for free uh, as a student or as a researcher, and then you can get hold of all the data from the time that the satellite was launched. All the data that that could be given to the public is all there. So you just need to register and pull out whatever data you need uh, in, of course, a particular format, which can be used. So it's it's available to really anybody who wants to use it? Yes, it's very easy. Um, it's available to everybody. So how do you, I mean, clearly you've got imagery from space. Um, uh, love the idea of space. Jim. Um, how do you... I suppose how how do you how do you know it's correct? Did, have you got sensors on the ground as well? Uh, so are you talking about uh, the accuracy of the final result that I get, or do you mean the data itself being correct? Well, uh, I, I, I suppose it's it's if you've got a picture of a parcel of land mm -hmm. from a satellite, do you have almost a, a control? Are you checking on the ground as well to see that the the data is correct? 
suppose. So, like I asked you, like, what do you mean by the data being correct? So let's let's just break it down. So when I first get hold of any data, like say today, um, the satellite takes a picture and I get uh, a data for today's date over a particular region in Ireland, over a particular farm, let's say. Now, when you uh, get the data, like when a person like me, a PhD student or any researcher sitting in any university or in industry uh, gets the data, there are certain corrections already made to the data before they're made available to the public. So, for example, we know that um, the raw data, anything raw, let's say, if you, if you take a picture, uh, so the raw data would have a lot of problems in the sense that um, there's scattering in the atmosphere because there's water vapor, there's so many other particles, dust particles. So when a ray of light comes in, like let's say the sun's energy comes in and then it goes back, it is interacting with all these particles in the atmosphere. Like I'm trying not to sound very uh, science here. I'm trying to keep the jargon to a minimum, but this is what happens. So there are a lot of flaws then that comes in the data. So before it is disembursed to the public, a lot of correction is done so that your data is as clean as possible. It is as good as to the reality. So, you know, like a green grass should ideally look green. It should not look red or blue or purple. So all that sort of correction is done. So then you get the data. So I, as a researcher, would then get the data. And then I do whatever I have to do. I do all the analysis. And let's say I come out with a soil moisture map. Um, now, how do I know whether if I'm saying that this portion of soil is actually wet, is it actually wet or how wet is it? If I say it's completely wet, let's say I say it's drenched. It might not be so. There might be some problem in the data or in the algorithm that I'm running. So to validate my results, I we have like our team has soil moisture sensors installed in the ground. Uh, so they are the, uh, the ground data, the ground truth. And I use that data to then validate whatever results I obtain from the remote sensing side of things. So what I'm understanding here is, is, is that by... <clears throat> Your work with the satellite imagery, and then you've got data from ground sensors, soil yeah. sensors on the ground, mm. validating that, but yes. validating your conclusions. Yes. Um, but in the future, one would say that that having done the validation work, mm -hmm. we'll be able to take it take it almost as read that the satellite data is is valid. Yeah. Yes. I mean that is sort of. Um, the last step that you would do because uh, whatever is coming from the ground is a truth, obviously, because it's there. Um, so then the last thing that you would do after your analysis is that you would want to validate it with what is actually happening on the ground and see how well they match. Now, there won't be a 100% match, obviously, because something is there in the ground. It is at a very localized level, whereas the picture that I'm getting is not for that one particular point, but also of the surrounding area. So yes, it won't be a 100% match for sure but you're trying to get to a level of being as close as possible. So that, that is the aim here, to be as accurate as possible. And how, how many sites are you monitoring at the moment? And how, how long will your project go on for? So it, this project started in January of 2020, like I said, when I joined the PhD program. And I'm currently looking at two specific sites. Uh, for my analysis, um, we might add one or two more, depending on the kind of time that I have or the need, if we feel uh, we want to do that. But yes, currently I'm working on two sites. So, so when when do you when do you expect to finish your PhD? 
my end date well on the paper technically is um, end of 2023 so november december around that time so i have almost like uh, almost a year now uh, to like wrap up everything uh, write my thesis and then submit it so yes let's say we're talking so, about a year now so no 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 pressure then really well, there is because <laughs> I still have a lot of work to do. And uh, as PhD students, we're also, uh, I mean, encouraged to publish our results in good journals. So that is another part. So I'm, I'm currently working on doing that as well. So writing a manuscript of whatever results I'm getting, plus doing the analysis of uh, the different objectives that I have. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be tight. But I would imagine that the data that you're working with and the conclusions you're drawing, it can be extrapolated. So although you're working on two sites at the moment, yeah, one presumes that it'll be easier to, to do it on a larger number of sites. Once Yes, definitely. Like once I have confidence in the methodology, uh, once we know that it's working for two, three, four sites, then we could obviously extend it to go beyond or look at larger areas uh, also with the same uh, algorithm that I'm following. Okay. Now, clearly, when when you finish your PhD um, and become Doctor Rumia, will the project end, or do you, do you see it taking a taking on a life of its own? Will it? Will the work be continued? You hope? No, I don't think the project would end uh, because I, I hope that it will continue in the sense that we have the soil moisture sensors in place, so they will keep sending us data. And uh, of course, the project might get tweaked a bit. We we might add on to some more interesting objectives uh, because we've also learned so many things along the way that we've been working on. So, um, no, I, I think it will continue. It strikes me that, um, I mean, one of the things about Irish agriculture currently is you feel that farmers and the industry are really embracing tech and tech solutions. So whether that's soil sensors, whether it is uh, sensors actually on cows, whether it is satellite data, artificial intelligence, there's an awful lot of stuff. I, I think what it needs is to be hooked up. You, you mentioned to me um, before we started recording this, you mentioned that potentially a farmer app would be something that you could supply your data to farmers through that. Yeah, it could be like an app which sort of updates the soil moisture map. Like that, that's a future perspective and a lot of work uh, needs to be done in that regard, but it is possible. And um, what, what, what are the benefits that you see to an Irish farmer of this data? Yeah, like I said in the beginning that, you know, uh, information on soil moisture is crucial for the farming community in general. So if we can get them accurate information of how uh, the soil moisture status on their farm looked like, looks like, so they would be able to devise then management strategies on the farms. Like I know that a lot of farms here have artificial drains to drain out the excess water because a lot of soils on Irish farms um, are sort of very densely packed. So they tend to hold water a lot. So it's not very freely draining, uh, to put it very simply. So uh, it might help them to, you know, sort of devise those strategies, uh, which area of the farm requires such interventions like an artificial drain and probably which areas of the farms are okay and you don't need to like really meddle with them so much. So all sort of, all that sort of information and that sort of planning, uh, you know, I, I, I hope that my work would help in that regard.
obviously one of the issues, uh, the bigger, one of the biggest issues facing Irish agriculture is water quality. And the fact that we're finding that, or rather the EPA, I should say, is finding that an awful lot of waterways and water courses in Ireland are suffering from uh, nitrate phosphorus pollution from fertilisers. Mm -hmm. So I suppose to a certain extent, if you could detect where there are areas mm -hmm. of the farm that are particularly high in soil moisture, maybe it could indicate that possibly the farmer shouldn't be fertilising or putting fertiliser on that land. Could be, but I don't think it's that simple because um, the application of fertiliser also has its own own route, you know, and why do you need to fertilise? So probably that crop or that area of your farm is probably not doing so well. So I'm not sure if it is so simple a correlation, but could be. It's that sort of thinking, I guess, that that that, that, that will yeah. help us in the future with our sustainability. Yeah, one could investigate this area also, like what is the correlation between soil moisture status and the kind of fertiliser that you're putting? Is there a causation or not? Yeah. So that's a it's a project for someone else, possibly. Maybe. <laughs> you should write it up yeah. and get someone to do it. I think it's important. Yes, maybe I should get some funding. <laughs> maybe you should, absolutely. Um so but I, I think I think we talked about that. I mean the, the 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 other question is obviously you've talked about your project, the data that you use being widely available. And we talked about sort of global impacts, particularly irrigation in other countries and what have you. Yeah. But I mean, I'm guessing Ireland is a fairly unique country in terms of its weather, in terms of its um, makeup, soil makeup, and uh, the fact it's 65% pasture. So would you say that the work that you're doing is, is well, it's obviously unique, but will it help other countries? Yeah, definitely. I think we're, what we're doing here is we're doing it very locally because, of course, Ireland is my study area. Even within Ireland, I'm looking at two or three sites in particular. So it is it's coming down to a very final level. But if you talk about the global impacts of the study, then uh, my study could lead the way for, um, you know, carrying or, you know, repeating the study in other sites, which has similar conditions like Ireland. So for example, I, I come from India. So I, I know a lot more about that region than any other part of the world. So for example, the Himalayan region in India, it also has similar conditions. Like it rains a lot. Um, again, it's very cloudy, so you would have the same problem of getting adequate number of data points. And they also have um, a longer rainy season as compared to the rest of the country. So uh, probably this methodology could be repeated there. It could yield similar results or very different results. But that's also something that we can learn about. So we're doing something locally, but hopefully it will have a global impact. Fantastic. And that will please... Uh, I'm fairly sure the nation of Ireland, because we do like to be seen to be leading the way in, in specific areas. That, Rumia, that, that, that's that's great. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, it's genuinely fascinating. I've learned a lot and it's soil from space, marvellous stuff. Um, so I wish you the best of luck with the rest of your project. And hopefully uh, at the end of next year, we'll be speaking again and you will be Dr. Rumia. Um, which you know, yeah. and well deserved so thank you very much indeed thank you so much Jeremy it was really nice talking to you Dairy Matters is produced by 4TC on behalf of the National Dairy Council